The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Morning, Park Church. This morning's scripture passage is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. Again, that's Acts, chapter 17, 22 through 34. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see some of you in the building, and thanks for those that are joining us online. I truly am grateful for your engagement. It's always great to see some new faces I haven't seen in a little while and uh, see some new faces to park. And so uh, welcome to all of you. Again, for those joining us online, really appreciate your continued engagement. Uh, whether you don't feel comfortable or it's not wise or safe in this time, uh, we're grateful for every way that we can stay connected as a church family. We want to lean into opportunities to connect in ways that are wise and safe and thoughtful and participating in the broader realities happening around our city and in the world in loving and caring ways. And so thank you for your graciousness and your patience in this season. Um, uh, our hope in this season of Advent is to lean into these longings that live within us as human beings. Advent isn't like early Christmas. Advent is a time where we slow down and we kind of enter into the emotional space of longing, thinking not just about the people of Israel before the first coming of Christ, but all the things in our world that feel not yet as they ought to be. There are things that you feel in your heart. There are things that you see around you. There are ways that you kind of live in this world. And if you're attentive to kind of the, the inner longings of your heart, and if you're honest, there are these achings. There are these longings. There are, there are hungers for 
uh, a world as it is not yet. And, uh, and what we're looking to in Advent is the promise that Christ, through his first coming, through the coming of his spirit in this age, and through the second coming of Christ when he comes again, he is the one who satisfies those longings. And so we, we looked the first week, Miguel preached on the longing for justice, saying as you look around at the brokenness in the world, uh, as you look at the brokenness in our city or in our nation or across the, the globe, you find, if you're paying attention, it's not hard to see, that that brokenness is kind of raising up within you a sense that this is not the way the world ought to be. And it's in that sense that we actually hear an echo of God's voice. Like the very awareness that people have, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, that the world is not yet as it ought to be, is the echo of God's voice saying you are made for a world of justice. And we find in Christ the one who puts all things to right. We looked last week, Chris was preaching on the longing for relationships as you feel divisiveness and division in your relationships, whether within your household with roommates or family or with extended family, or maybe you had challenging time in relationships over Thanksgiving, or maybe it was just grieving not being able to see people that you love, friends or family. And as you think about even the holidays, maybe there are things you can't do and you feel the impact of that loneliness. The reason why you feel that is because you were designed by God for relational connection with other people. You're designed for that. And it's in that longing for a relationship that you kind of find something of an echo of God's voice, saying he made you for something that has to do with a relationship with him and with others. It's a part of your design. And what we're looking at today uh, is this third echo of God's voice, and it's this longing for spiritual life, that you weren't designed to make your way through life as if we were all alone in the universe. You weren't made to find meaning and purpose apart from the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God. You weren't made to find it. And so when you find in yourself, as you try to operate in the sort of here and now and material and consumable world, like you'll find a dissatisfaction. You'll find in your heart, if you're paying attention, an unsatisfied longing. And that longing is a longing for spiritual life, and it's an echo of God's voice. And so we need his spirit today uh, to just kind of awaken us in this moment to the reality that we're not alone. Uh, As we gather as the people of God, even in a bizarre way with people in person and and people online, uh, this isn't supposed to be just a religious ritual we walk through. We actually believe the Holy Spirit floods these moments with his presence, and that when you are kind of yielded to the presence of the Holy Spirit, He works in us in really powerful and transformative ways. And so I just want to invite you to kind of like sit on that kind of thought for a second. The Holy Spirit of God is with you. And he is paying attention to this moment and wants to work in power in your heart this morning. And so let's calm our hearts before him and then pray for him to work among us. Father, we ask that you would right now pour out your spirit on everyone in this room, everyone uh, tuning in around the city or around the nation as people engage online, that you would pour out your spirit in powerful, fresh, transformative ways today. That this wouldn't just be a a kind of religious activity, uh, wouldn't just be kind of like a, a dead ritual, but that you would actually meet with us, that we would experience the reality of your presence in a transformative way, uh, that you would re-enchant these moments, re-enchant our kind of perception of the world and awaken us to the spiritual realities that are at play all around us.
Uh, we were made to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so would you make us aware even this morning, would you work among us in power, but also would you work through us to send us out into this world as those who can help others see Jesus as the way to life with God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And one of the things I, I love about Colorado and kind of driving through the mountains is you kind of find these pockets of ghost towns all around. Like if you're up in the mountains on a trail, you might find an old abandoned, you know, mining or a, kind of a mining place or a mill of some sort. If you're kind of going to different towns, you, you'll find just like a, a street that's full of these old buildings that are well over 100 years old, that it's clear that there used to be kind of a society here, but the society is, has gone away. Uh, my wife's grandparents live in Fair Play, Colorado. Up in Fair Play, there's a, it's the county seat of Park County, I think the biggest county in Colorado. And in Fair Play, they have uh, Park City Museum, uh, which is sort of just a kind of uh, a recreation or a preservation of kind of the, the old kind of mining life in Colorado back from the 1900s. Like, um, and in this, in this reality, as you kind of walk through that sort of town, you kind of look at and read, you, you learn about like the Reynolds gang and you learn about these kind of different things that happen in the wild west in Colorado. And, and you've kind of learned through that, that there are hundreds of these ghost towns around Colorado. Some, some people count thousand, over a thousand ghost towns, but even if you're just counting towns that used to have a post office that no longer have inhabitants, there are over 300 ghost towns in Colorado. And so you can kind of like pick your way through them. There are some that are really kind of uh, exciting to go see. I say exciting, depending on how you're wired. I think it's fascinating. Colorado history, get your Colorado history hat on and, and learn about it. But as you go through it, there's this sense of, of, of a life gone by, a life as it used to be, which is very different than the life that we experience now. If you're in Fair Play, you can stop to, at the Silver Scoop and get some good ice cream. You could go to the Brown Borough Cafe. You could even in the summertime go watch Borough Days where they race donkeys. Uh, still happens uh, as these kind of like uh, celebrations of these traditions. But the same thing's true in Denver, actually. If you're paying attention in Denver, uh, you can see evidences. Denver's different because it's sort of kind of concretize, you know, you have like this kind of concrete that's kind of made its way over all of the old things, but there's still old houses and old vestiges of, of kind of a life as it used to be. And so actually, if you think about the REI downtown, you know, it's like the architecture is beautiful. It's really fun, like neat space, but you pay attention, like, why is it like that? Well, it was the housing boilers that would power the engines of this tramway or these streetcars that made their way into this kind of various regions of Denver. So when you think about 32nd Street, Highland Square, you think about Tennyson Street or Gaylord or Pearl Street, all these little pockets and strips of shops, the streetcars would go to those places and they'd have a general store and some different places to do some things and developers would develop homes and people would kind of walk from their homes, hop on the streetcar, come downtown and work. And you think about the dairy block downtown, that wasn't developers thinking like, let's think of a really hip name for a kind of a new development. That used to be the dairy block downtown where dairy was gathered and distributed up and down the river and on the trains to send to different parts of the country. These are kind of like vestiges of Denver that used to be. And if you're paying attention, you can see it. In fact, if you go to Tattered Cover on 16th Street, you'll notice on the 16th Street side, on the second floor, there's an exterior door. And like, if you're watching, you're like, why, why would there be a door? Like if somebody like were to step out that door, they'd fall like 
15 feet down onto the sidewalk on 16th Street. Why is there a door? Well, there used to be kind of a viaduct road, an elevated road that went all throughout there. And there would be kind of roads, service roads underneath. And all these things that we kind of, as we progress as a society, we forget about the things that used to be. And there are these evidences of this life if you're paying attention. If you're paying attention. And the same thing's true actually about spiritual life. There are these evidences of this reality that we were as a people experiencing and made to experience life in the spirit. We were kind of as a civilization very aware that life is more than the material. Life is more than the temporal. That there is something eternal. That there is something transcendent. And that marked humanity. But as humanity has progressed kind of like post-enlightenment and this kind of progressive culture, it's almost like those kind of like vestiges of a spiritual life have gone behind us. And yet, if you're paying attention, you see evidences all around, these kind of like echoes of a life gone by. And it's fascinating to me because those echoes of a spiritual life, whether it's longings that you have for something beyond the grave or it's a sense that there is a higher power or something like that, these little kind of like echoes in your heart and these echoes around us, the reality of empty churches and growing churches and these kind of experiences, there's a sense that humanity has some awareness of a spiritual life. Now, there are different ways to explain the sort of like the, the, the disconnect now, that these things are, seem like they're, they're kind of more disconnected or more distant. One is we're progressing. Uh, we don't need it anymore. Science and technology and knowledge and wisdom. We know how the brain works and we know about chemistry and we know about atoms and we're learning about the universe. And, and you have this sense like the more we know, kind of the more we progress beyond these kind of like archaic superstitious ideas of God. And so there are a lot of times when people thought that kind of like the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, that the kind of superstitions around that would eventually be lost. But that's not what's happening in our society. There's actually a growing sense of a spiritual hunger in our society. And it's evidence in us and around us that we were made for spiritual life with God. We were made for it. And that's really what the heart of this passage is about, that you were made for life with God, and that that spiritual hunger is only satisfied through Jesus. It's only satisfied through Jesus. And so in Acts 17, there's so many things going on. Uh, we preached through Acts a few years back uh, and kind of covered this kind of more in a verse-by-verse -verse way. Today, we're not going to cover all the aspects of it. There's not enough time today to cover all that's happening in this passage. But I want to draw attention to two of the primary thoughts, primary movements happening in this passage, and why they make sense of a longing, an aching within us for a spiritual life. And so what I want you uh, to do, open up your Bible to Acts 17. I'll give a little bit of the background, and then we'll jump into verse uh, 22 together. Um, so Paul is this apostle, been transformed by God's grace, been washed, cleansed, filled up with the Spirit of God, and sent by God to spread this good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to reconcile humanity to their maker and to establish a kingdom where God reigns as king and people live in the Spirit and actually reflect the character of God and God's love in the way they live and relate to other human beings and to the world around them. This is the good news of God's kingdom, and Paul wants to spread it across the face of the earth. Eventually, he makes it to the city of Athens. 
Um, he, had never, he had never been to Athens before. Athens had become the sort of, uh, had previously been the, the political and cultural and ideological epicenter of the world. Uh, but the kind of political movement had shifted now to Rome for a couple hundred years. But Athens continued to be the sort of religious and cultural and sort of like thought center of the world. The ideas that were exchanged, if you wanted to like go and learn and debate and engage in philosophical or religious dialogue and learn about culture in the different ways, this is sort of a melting pot where people are coming together to kind of consider the deeper things of life. To think about what life means and why are we here and why do things matter and kind of try to make sense of the world. And so Paul enters into the city of Athens, and when he does, you can see this in the first part of the chapter, he sees idols, idols. And what these are are just statues to these gods where people would come and make sacrifices and offer prayers and different religious activities to engage with these higher powers that they thought had some kind of level of engagement with their world. There are different ways of thinking. There are the Epicureans, which he mentions here, which kind of see God is a little bit distant and far off, like there, out there, but not too involved in the day-to-day activities of life. Very similar. Epicureanism is very similar, I think, to a lot of Denver culture. There might be a God out there, but kind of like live simply and, and life will be okay. Just don't get kind of caught up in all the sort of extraneous things of life. The Stoics are there, have different ways of thinking, but then there are all these different ways of worshiping these different gods. And so when Paul sees all these idols, the Bible says he was provoked. What he felt was a a provocation of his inner life. And that wasn't provoked to anger. It wasn't like he was like, you guys are a bunch of idolaters and I'm going to go and kind of like yell at everybody and get mad at everybody and have this sort of kind of critical, combative, defensive, angry posture towards Athens. He was actually stirred up towards compassion and engagement. He looked at the city around him and he looked at this kind of evidence that this city is hungry for God. They're hungry for something spiritual. They're hungry to engage with a higher power, with deities. They are hungry and it grieved him because they were kind of searching in all the wrong places. And so he leans in, not with kind of this angry, combative posture, not with this defensive, shameful posture either. He leans in with compassion and engages them because he sees in them a question, a searching, a longing that he actually has an answer for. And so he engages, and that's what verse 22 begins, is Paul's speech at the sort of like cultural hub, the Areopagus in the middle of Athens, Greece. And so here's what happens, verse 22 It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, where all these statues to all these gods and all these worshipers are gathering and worshiping and exchanging ideas and learning from one another, says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Like I'm noticing, it's not challenging to see, there are idols everywhere, that you are very, very religious people. You are spiritually religious hungry people. I think it's a, it's a fascinating line. There's um, some, some ancient documents where people would actually refer, say in Athens, it was more, you're more likely to bump into a god than a human. Like if you're just walking through this area, you're going to bump into a god. Like God's everywhere. And Paul's like, y'all are hungry. You are searching. You are searching and seeking and feeling around trying to find some sense of meaning. 
And as I did, he says, I also noticed this. He says, I observed, as I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. As, uh, this inscription on this altar to the unknown God uh, wasn't a specific deity, uh, like we've got all these gods and we've got like the unknown God, nor was it the sense of like, we don't know who God is and so we're just like doing this. It was more of like a, a cover, like all the bases kind of situation. And so the way they thought, it was a very pluralistic society. It was very much a you-do-you society. There are different ways to do this and different things different people care about. So some people are going to go over here and worship to the goddess of fertility and love. And some people are going to go over here and worship the god of agriculture and commerce. And some people are going to go over here. It depends on what you want because their conception of God is gods exist kind of wanting us to do things for them in order that they would do things for us. So it's sort of this quid pro quo relationship with deities. And so they had this sense gods, gods can affect your life. They can impact your life. So in order for them to impact your life positively in the areas where you want them to, you have to go and engage in ways that would please the gods with whatever they wanted, sacrifices or rituals or practices or prayers of whatever kind. And the sense was there are probably gods that we don't know about and so just as a sort of coverall, let's have this like altar to the unknown God where we can offer sacrifices there and cover our bases to make sure we're not like displeasing some God that we're not familiar with. Now what I think is powerful about that is what Paul's actually doing in that moment. He's actually connecting with them in a point of their kind of religious ambiguity and their sort of agnosticism. Like we don't know everything. We know that there's something out there. We know that there are beings out there or powers out there. We don't know everything. And so he actually intervenes in that moment and connects with him in that moment saying, in that sense of that kind of vague spiritual longing, that desire to kind of like cover your bases, I actually know the one you're made for. I know him and I want you to know him. So he connects there. What I, what I think is interesting is like he saw in the society a spiritual hunger. And I think that is something that we see all around us still today. Um, as I mentioned before, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, if you were to talk to people, you know, 100 years ago or even 50 years ago, the sense was as technology continues to increase, we would be in a place in our society as a civilization, especially in the West where technology has increased rapidly, where we've kind of like done away with God, any sense of need for him. So this idea of like the sort of Christopher Hitchens kind of thoughts of new atheism, like we don't need God anymore. God's for the kind of religious dummies or the superstitious dummies. People thought that's the kind of ideology that would grow as a sort of like new atheism, that there is no God. All that there is is tangible, temporal, the things you can taste, touch, sense, smell, experience, observe, that science could describe. And that's not what's happened. There's this sense that we could make progress without God's presence, and the more we did it, the more people would realize you don't need God. And that's just not the way society has unfolded. So things like 9-11 happen, and there's this like churches get filled up. When that's kind of at a global level, or a pandemic, in the middle of a pandemic, spiritual hunger is on the rise. I've had more conversations with neighbors about spiritual things over the past 
six to nine months than I have ever before in the sort of six years that I've lived in the neighborhood that I'm in. People are hungry and initiating thoughts and questions. And maybe you're here today or tuning in online because of that reality. Like you're like, I, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And maybe it's God. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's Christianity. I don't know. It just, I, there's got to be more. And when you see that kind of like growing longing, whether it's as we walk through a global trial or in the kind of individual trials different people go through at different times in your own life, when people go through hard things, suffer grief or loss or sufferings of different kinds, challenges, it's like this awakening that there has to be something more. And this is the sort of space where Paul engages, is in that sense you have that sense that there has to be something more because there is. Because there is something more. And that's the first thing that we're seeing in this passage, that all human beings are thirsty for spiritual life. Everybody is thirsty for spiritual life because you're, you're made for it. You're made to be integrated with God and actually experiencing life in daily, life-shaping communion with the living God. You were made for it, and that's wired into humanity. But what's happened in our sort of like cultural age is we've found ways to construct enough meaning and significance and purpose in life without God. It doesn't mean there is no God. It just means the main ways that we try to find life and meaning, he's not super relevant for our attempt to find meaning in life. So you might say, hey, or your neighbors, or you might feel like, yeah, maybe there's a God, and maybe it's the God of the Bible, and, and I'll kind of like do a little bit with him, or maybe engage it a little bit. But my overall search for meaning and purpose and satisfaction and happiness, it's going to be in the things I can like see and touch and feel and accomplish and do in my life. It's going to be in the material and in the temporal. And so this is where the philosopher, we've talked about him often because I think he kind of helps define the secular age that we're living in so well. Charles Taylor um, talks about the imminent frame. So the idea of constructing your sense of meaning in this kind of box of the material and the temporal, but that doesn't mean that you don't think that there is a God. And so what Taylor says is that the sort of imminent frame, which is again, this material and temporal experience is haunted by these kind of ghosts of the transcendent. Like God's voice and God's calling and these longings within you sort of like haunt your experience that you can't totally push God out successfully. Every time societies try to totally push God out successfully, spirituality eventually erupts and shakes the whole thing up again. And I think we're experiencing some of that right now, which is why humanity will never push out the reality of God. He is calling to us in all of creation and from within us. It's just there. It's in us. And so as you try to push him out more and more and more, typically there's this eruption because our, our life is being haunted by his presence. And we're going to feel his presence in moments of loss or moments of deep love, moments of pain and moments of deep joy, these moments that seem to transcend reality. So you'll hear in... Uh, in people like, there's a guy, Julius Barnes, he's a British writer. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Like, I don't believe in him. I don't buy into the whole religious thing, but I kind of like want it to be true and I kind of feel like I should. Feels like there's a God I don't believe in that I was made for, but whatever, and keep on living. Or actually in Steve Jobs' uh, biography, 
by, uh, by Walter Isaacson. At the end, uh, Isaacson says this. He says, I remember sitting in his backyard, in Jobs' backyard. Steve Jobs, by the way, is the founder and CEO of Apple, in case you didn't know that. He's passed away. If you didn't know that, welcome to planet Earth. Um, glad you're here. Uh, he said this, so he's sort of the pinnacle of the sort of like tech industry, right? The founder of Apple, he's the one bringing progress to the world through technology about as fast as anybody. And he says, I re- uh, Isaacson says, I remember sitting in his backyard or in his garden one day, and he started talking about God. He said, sometimes I believe in God, and sometimes I don't. I think it's 50-50 maybe. But ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. And I find myself believing it a bit more. Maybe it's because I want to believe in an afterlife, that when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it it lives on. Isaacson says, then he paused for a second and said, yeah, but sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. And then he paused again and said, And maybe that's why I don't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. Like something of shutting it down and being done, something of totally off doesn't feel right. Maybe it's like that. I don't want it to be. So what Jobs is feeling, he's feeling haunted by a longing for something eternal, a longing for something that goes beyond the temporal, a longing for something transcendent, and that is within us. It's within you. It's within your neighbors. It's kind of all around. You can go one block away and get palm readings and crystal ball and tarot card readings and spells and bewitching spells and reunite with your lover. And I'm not, even, I'm not making fun of it. I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, condescend it. I'm saying there's spiritual longing. There's spiritual hunger that is all over the place. And so in a society like ours, there's this sense that there's a God, but we try to construct our life and meaning in the sort of here and now material. And as Christians, we do the same thing. We say, hey, I believe in a God. I'm going to cover my kind of like eternal once I die base. I'm going to cover the sort of like conscious base and satiate my kind of like conscious. But as I like, as I seek life and meaning, I seek it the same places most people around me do, in my job, and in my relationships, the things I can accumulate, the things I can achieve, the things I can accomplish. And so we push God out to the margins and construct our life in the imminent frame. And you will wither. To be separated from the presence of God is, is to live against the grain of your design. And so you'll feel it for people separated. This is why the Bible calls people that are separated from God, it's dead. There's a death. And when Christians wander away from God, in John 15, it's like Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. When you're disconnected from the vine, you wither. And some of you are feeling that. I've felt that off and on over the past nine months, all of my life. But over the past nine months, when I'm not walking with God daily, I feel a withering. Like part of who I'm designed to be is dying when I'm not walking in the Spirit, spending time in relationship with God. And you might feel the same thing, or maybe you're here and you're just entertaining Christianity, and you're like, I feel that. I feel like there's got to be something more because life feels dead. It feels meaningless. It feels empty. It feels purposeless when you step back and consider it. That's because you're made to find life with God. You're made for it. And that's what Paul says here in this passage. He says it right here in verse 23. He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. 
the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, the God who made everything, who made this whole globe, who made you, who made your brain and your heart and your friends and your family and your longings and the whole thing and all of the universe, the God who made everything does not live in temples made by human hands. He doesn't live in the things we can make and the things we can touch. He is not creation. He is the creator. He made it all. And so when we spin our wheels trying to find life and joy in the created things, he transcends the created things as the source of life. And so we try to find things Life and the things that can never be the life giver because they weren't designed to be. He's the life giver. He's the creator. And it says, and he made, he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything because he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's not a God who's like, I need you to do some stuff for me so that then I'll do some stuff for you. Like you go to church a little bit, you say your prayers, you kind of get back in that stuff, stop doing that thing and do a little more of this thing and then I'll give you life. That's not what he says. I am the life giver. I just give life. Come to me. Not to get something, not to like earn something from me because you're made to find life in me. And then listen to this phrase that Paul says. I think it's a stunning phrase. It says, and he made from one man, speaking of Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, saying all countries, all nations, over all times, throughout all generations, one God made it all. And as human beings in different societies and different ages and generations are kind of exhibiting their religious hunger by kind of like groping in the dark for some sense of satisfaction, whether it's through, you know, the goddess of love or through sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend or through your, your work and the ability to accumulate more and more things or through family or for drugs or whatever. Like, as we're kind of like feeling around wherever we are in whatever society without over time, it is that very hunger that is inside of us, that evidences God's care for us. Look at what it says. In order that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That, that as we live in this life with these unfulfilled longing, this sense of there's a withering or there's a death that I feel and you're searching for life and meaning and joy and happiness and satisfaction and a sense of understanding in the midst of all of the craziness of the world and you're spinning out of control. It's like you're feeling, God's like, yes, 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 yes. That's because I made you for relationship with me. And everybody feels it. Everybody feels it to some degree. Uh, Google, three days ago, uh, posted a little video called like the year in search 2020. And, uh, and the whole video is about the kind of primary word kind of search. Uh, the word why was searched more in 2020 than ever before in history. Why COVID-19? Why injustice? Why this? Why that? Why this? It kind of goes through all these things about just people searching to try to understand why. Is there meaning behind all of this? What, what is this all about? Why? And at the very end of the video, it says this. The last line is, so until we get to every answer, we're still searching. Like, that just summarizes the reality. That's it. Like We're just searching, we're searching, we're searching. And Paul's like, I'm here to tell you, I know who you're searching for. I know, I know him. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
You were made to find life with God, and God sent his son into the world. Christmas is about God saying, I want you to know me. I'm not going to leave you separated from me. I'm not going to leave you disconnected from the source of life. I'm coming after you, and Christmas is God coming after you, seeking you, pursuing you, in your searching, in your longing, in your aching. And Jesus came into the world to bring people to God, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he laid down his life to demonstrate the Father's love for you, to sacrifice his life, to cleanse you of your sin, to forgive you of your sin, and to bring you back into relationship with the God who made you because you were, you were made for this. But that's not just a mental sort of cognitive thing. It's not just like believe a certain set of beliefs. You are made to orient your daily life as a relational expression of life with the divine, of life with your creator. You were made every day to wake up attentive to the presence of your life giver. The source of love, the source of joy, the source of rest, the source of justice, the source of peace. You are made to orient your life. And so when you find yourself living your whole life apart from him, it's no wonder there's a sense of emptiness. Or when you find yourself wandering from him again and again, as we all do, you feel the aching yet again. And so what Paul says in this passage is powerful. Verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to Repent, which is a churchy kind of word, a theological word that just means return home. Come back. Come back to the God who made you, who created you for a relationship with him. Come home. Whether you've never known God before or you've known him but have been wandering, you're trying to make it through the pandemic, make it through quarantine, make it through job loss, make it through relational loneliness and division, make it through all these things by finding solutions or numbing or distracting or just kind of like grieving. All of the grieving is worthy of the grief, but like God's saying, make your way back to me. Make your home in me. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Wake up. Spend the afternoon today and wake up in the morning and like find your life with me. You weren't made to find your life separated from God. You were made to be a material and spiritual being. You have a body, you have a soul. And your soul needs to be nourished in the presence of God or you will wither inside out. But when you nourish your heart by being attentive to the presence of God and the love of God and the purposes of God and the nearness of God, when you nourish your heart, it also transforms you positively from the inside out to be people that can then spread that joy, spread that hope, spread that love to others around you. And this is what God has called us for, and this is what we long for in Advent. Uh, it, is, it is a hard time right now. And some of you are, there's doubts, there's deconstructive elements of this time, like I think there's hard things, people are asking questions, hard questions that are not bad to ask. It's really good in the midst of difficult times to ask the hard questions. We're not a people that say, stick your head in the sand, plug your ears, don't ask questions. God can't deal with your doubts. God can deal with your doubts. But to be honest, doubting isn't in contradiction to faith. Doubting is the expression of faith. It is the growing of faith. I have questions and I have concerns and I'm trying to understand. But as you lean into those questions with God, as you meet him in those places, your faith in him, your love for him, your sense of joy in him will grow. And when we do that as a people, we get to shine as light in the world. Uh, let's pray together. And Jesus, we ask right now that you would help us. 
um, all around this room, all around the city, for those watching online as well. Um, we need you as a people. We want to make our home with you. We want to abide in your love. We want to orient our lives around the reality of your presence. Uh, we want to be attentive to the spiritual things, to the things of the Spirit. So we pray that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit today. And that in filling us up, all the evidence of your Spirit's presence with us, all the evidence of spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual life, things like love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all these things that just are generated through your Spirit within us uh, would flow out and grow. And so would you cause us to be people that grow in the fruit of the Spirit, that we're not withering branches, but we are fruitful branches because we're abiding in you. And so we need you, Holy Spirit, even in this moment. We pray in Christ's name, amen.